Uh, we're in for a treat this morning, friends. We are in for a treat. We've got two speakers in this service and two speakers in the next service. Uh, and really excited in this service, 9.30, you guys uh, have got the wonderful Jason Ham, who's going to be coming communicating God's Word at a moment. And also Mary Embleton as well, who's going to be coming sharing God's Word. Uh, going to be really good. going to pray, and then I'm going to invite Jason up. In fact, Jason, come on up. Let's welcome him now. Come on. We love Jason. Jason, can I pray for you? Is that okay? Let's pray. Would you stretch out your hands to Jason Church? That's okay. Father, thank you for this amazing man of God. Thank you for his heart, for the church, and for the people of God. Thank you for what he brings and does for this church. And uh, Lord, believing uh, in faith that you have a message that you want to deliver through him this morning. So I pray you anoint his words and his mind. I pray he's in step with the Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, he senses all that you're wanting to say. Thank you for his preparation and his time in listening to you and being obedient to declare that which you are wanting to say. Praise is an easy space. And Holy Spirit, we invite you into this room to come and uh, have authority over all things, over all things. Bless him abundantly, Lord. We are so thankful for him. We love him. And Lord, so do you. So come now and speak to us through him. We pray this in your powerful name. Amen. Amen. Fantastic. Rock and roll. How is everyone doing? Are you well? Come on, look at that, that's a good answer. If you said no, that would be awkward, so that's good, that's good. <laughs> well, and as we entered the beginning of 2023, I don't know if there was a word or verse God had given to you. For me, it was the word compassion. And it's been so powerful to see that word play out across this year so far. In fact, a couple of months ago, we sent out a church email, and you might remember this one, to say that a hotel had opened here in Exeter, here in this city, to say that about 120 asylum seekers who were young men had arrived. These young men had come from all across the country, in boats, across the sea, and with the most awful and dangerous conditions. They were escaping persecution and other awful, awful situations. Now, we were contacted by a local agency here in the city working with the young men to say, can this church, Rediscover Church, help out the guys with some urgent needs? And one of which was, uh, with one of which was winter coats to survive our cold British climate. Now, we sent out this email asking for your help. And as a church, you are no less than extraordinary with the amazing level of donations of coats you brought in and provided. And we've got a picture of here of some of the co coats uh, that we gave over to the agency. In fact, the agency came in, and this is no exaggeration of their words, they went, wow, absolutely wow, completely amazed by your generosity as a church and the compassion that you've shown. But the story doesn't end there. In fact, about a month ago, another hotel opened in the city, housing this time 317 not young men, but families. And once again, we asked for your help. And once again, you brought in so many donations. Even families in our weekly playgroup here in the church brought in baby clothes and toys to pass on to seven ladies who were pregnant in the hotel. I stand here today to pass on the biggest ever thank you from the agency and all the asylum seekers in that hotel, in those two hotels, for your incredible compassion and generosity. How wonderful it is that those individuals in those two hotels could taste and see the incredible, extravagant, compassionate heart of God. 
Another example for you, two weeks ago, yes, two weeks ago, uh, several of us were in the church office and we had someone knock at the church door and there was a lady there. She explained to me at Christmas just gone by, she received one of our Christmas hampers that so many of you donated towards and helped pack and she wanted to say thank you so much to the church. She explained to me that the food provided in those hampers was an absolute lifeline. In fact, without it, she didn't know how she could get through the Christmas period as finances were so difficult. But she also couldn't believe that, frankly, a stranger us <laughs> could show her such kindness and compassion. Well done, church, would be in the hands and feet of Jesus. The thing is, the more and more I've journeyed in life, the more I've come to realize there is so much need in our community. Exeter, Devon, the Southwest desperately needs to know the compassionate Jesus, a loving God who furiously loves them. But what does it mean for us as a church? Interestingly, Jesus himself was born in a stable, meek and mild as a baby. But the Jesus I know also turned over tables, calling out injustice because ultimately he had compassion for his people. If we're going to bring Jesus' values to our community and be radically compassionate, as well as giving out donations, coats, food, or anything such as that, and as good as those things are, and things we will very much continue to do as a church, we need to be a radically compassionate people. I'd like to show on screen a graph from Exeter Food Bank. This graph shows each year there have been more and more increased need on its services. The slight dip in 2021, I'll move out this way, in 2021, was when things went back to normal after COVID. This year, the food bank are reporting record number of people using its services. In fact, if things go on as they are, over 13,500 clients, people across Exeter, across this city, will use the food bank this year. That's compared to around 5,000 in 2017. That is a 160% increase in people using the food bank across Exeter. Crazy, crazy numbers. Now, I stand here today and I'm saying this. This is not acceptable. Now, we're not getting into a debate about which political party has created these issues, but clearly there have been some decisions made at some point which have contributed to this trend. But we cannot let it continue. If we are to truly reveal the radical, compassionate heart of Jesus, the answer cannot be just setting up food banks or building bigger premises, as I know they're doing locally at the food bank in Bridgewater. But we need to be a church that moves. I've got a quote here from Alan Scott, and he says in his book, Scattered Servants, our ministry isn't to support church. Our ministry is to shape culture. We need a church who brings the values of Jesus and his compassion into culture. Now, that means even in this room, there is a need for new Christian counselors, politicians, decision makers, and people with influence to rise up and bring the heart of Jesus and his compassion into key decisions for this region and country. And if you're thinking, that's for not for me, and I'm guessing that might be a number of you here, no way, that's not for me. Well, we can bring Jesus' values into culture in different ways. 
Vincent, just a few weeks ago, as you might remember, we shared about the YMCA and about proposals to cut funding to its services. I know many of you in this room have written to councillors to share this proposal is simply not right, and thank you for helping in that way. If we are to be a truly radical, compassionate church, to identify a problem or area of need is just the start. It needs a response. To say that not on our watch will people in our community go hungry and live their lives on food handouts. To say that not on our watch will people in our community go home to a cold house because they simply cannot afford the heating bills. To say that not on our watch will people live lives differently to Jesus' best for them. But let's be real. It's not always easy to identify the best ways we can help people. If you've been following the news of Ukraine on your television, the situation is truly, truly awful. As we watch television, we can feel, well, helpless. A country that is 1,770 miles away from here in the city. It's not easy to go out there to Ukraine, offer food or practical help. But do you know what I believe as Jesus people is we believe in the power of prayer. And as I see the news of Ukraine coming out of the television, I'm praying this. God, that your kingdom come, your will be done. As the people of Ukraine are filled with fear and worry, if their house will be missiled next, I'm praying, God, let your kingdom come, your will be done. For Putin, as he's in that war room making decisions, however crazy it sounds, I'm praying, God, let your kingdom come, your will be done. A church that moves is a church in prayer. To be a radically compassionate church is one that looks around to this city, region and world, and with open eyes, prays to God. He will do mightily and abundantly more than we can ask or imagine. But it doesn't have to stop there. As Jesus follows with the Holy Spirit living inside of us, we are carriers of God's compassion wherever we go and whoever we talk to. That means as you stand at the door of your workplace, it means you pray just before you walk in and begin your day. God, let your kingdom come, your will be done. And as you listen to people throughout the day, you bring his compassion and hope into people's lives. Bit of an example for me. In the last few months, I've known of so many married couples who have lost babies a truly devastating and awful thing to happen. And as I've talked to these couples, if I'm honest, I feel so underqualified in what to say. I've never experienced a situation myself when I'm worried I'll say the wrong thing or in some way just don't understand the situation and completely miss the mark. But what I've done is this. I've drawn on Jesus' compassion and hope to reach out and bring comfort, giving space for his words to speak through me to help others through such a difficult time. You see, our lives are busy. Our workplaces are busy. We have things to do. But Jesus wants to work in and through you to bring his compassion to others. He just needs your availability. Now, after you go out the service today, you might think it's business as usual for the week. You know what's happening. You, the whole diary is planned to the second. But if you're open to it, God will speak to you words of compassion to speak out to people. 
You see, the formation of our words and actions is based on this. God himself is so compassionate. His compassion for us is so wide and so deep, more than anything we can imagine. He knows you and he loves you so, so much. And he wants to show you his compassion through the big and the small things in life. Whether that's something like a driving test. You keep doing the test, but each time you fail and inside you feel such a failure. The good news today is this. He is your biggest cheerleader and you are not a failure. He smiles down on you today and he's saying this, I am with you and I'm so proud of you. Or perhaps there's a cycle of sin or pattern of behavior in your life you just can't escape from. Well, today, Jesus metaphorically gives you new clothes to put on. The past is, a heart, is the past, but he says this. He's so excited to journey alongside you for a preferred future that is going to be so good. We all need Jesus' compassion. This city, this region, this world needs Jesus' compassion. May we be a radically compassionate church. Let's pray. Father God, we, over these last few minutes, there's uh, identified so many areas of need, so many areas where there's, um, there's broken things in this world. There's not of you, God. There's so many broken things. There are people who are in such sin. They're in cycles of life um, that are truly broken, truly, truly difficult. But we pray for a radical outpouring of your compassion on this a city, on this region, on this world, God. We need you. We desperately need you. Help us. We give you our availability. We say, speak your words through us to reveal your compassion to others. Father God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your love. We ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jason. What an amazing word. Thank you so much, Jason. What does that look like for you um, this week? Just before we invite uh, Mary up, just close your eyes for a moment and just think and maybe ask God, God, how can I be a compassionate person this week? How can I be doer of your word? What do you want me to do? What decision do you want me to make? What do you want me to put into practice? Holy Spirit, we ask, reveal to our hearts now practical, practical ways of obedience for this week. Radically compassionate people, radically compassionate church. Help us, Lord. We pray this in your powerful name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're in for a treat as we continue. Why don't we welcome up uh, Mary Ambleton to the stage as she shares God's word. Hi. You look so beautiful from up here. I never see you from up here. <laughs> so, several years ago, I went on a mission trip to the Sahara. Well, it wasn't exactly the Sahara. It was the Sahel. It's that strip at the southern part of the, the Sahara, which... Um, it's like a scrubby desert with, scrub, with small trees. And if you haven't ever been to the desert, I know some of you have, um, it's so hot, the sun is beating down on you, and you're dripping with sweat. And when you breathe in, 
It's like when you open the oven and sneak at what you're cooking and that the air hits you and it almost like it burns your lungs. Well, one of my favorite memories from that trip was I went on a Jeep trip uh, across the wilderness. Um, and it was a really bumpy road. We were over the bumps and the rocks and the stones and up and down the ravines. And I was standing on the back of a jeep and I was hanging on to the grab rail um, because there's no health and safety laws in Burkina Faso, which I really rather like, actually. Um, so I was going along and the, hair, the wind was in my hair like a massive uh, hair dryer. And um, out of ridiculously small huts came entire families to wave at us. And at the end of it, I was covered in orange dirt and sand. And because I was living in a hut, I had half a bucket of water and a wooden scoop to wash in. So dial back 9,000 years, and there was a man called Isaiah. Isaiah was a prophet. He was a sage, an oracle, a poet. And he spoke to the Israelites. And he lived in a really similar desert. And he felt the sun coming down on him. And he was probably sweating. And he probably had half a bucket of water and a scoop to wash in. You see, the Israelites were being governed by the cruel Assyrians. And Isaiah spoke about comfort and judgment, suffering and hope. And he told them how God would come and save them. But more than that, he said how God in Jesus would come and save us all. So for many pages, he wrote about God's judgment on Israel. He wrote about the wilderness of their disobedience, both physical and spiritual. But then there's a plot twist. You see, the book of Isaiah likes to surprise us. Have you noticed? The book of Isaiah likes to surprise us with hope. So, Isaiah 35. You can read this, or perhaps you want to close your eyes and imagine. Even the wilderness and desert will be glad in those days. The wasteland will rejoice and blossom with spring crocuses. Yes, there will be an abundance of flowers and singing and joy. The deserts will become as green as the mountains of Lebanon as lovely as Mount Carmel or the plain of Sharon. There the Lord will display his glory, the splendor of our God. With this news, strengthen those who have tired hands and encourage those who have weak knees. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong and do not fear, for your God is coming to destroy your enemies he is coming to save you. You can open your eyes if you close them. This is a super balloon. This is an extravaganza of flowers. And I think this passage just makes us want to just stop and look at the beauty of God. Because the, I don't know if you've ever noticed, the wilderness is a big part of the Bible, isn't it? It's a big part of our lives too. It's a big part of the Bible. So the wilderness doesn't just have on a walk-on part. It doesn't have an extra part. Actually, the wilderness could get an Oscar for best supporting actor. Think of your favorite rugged actor, maybe Daniel Craig, or whichever one you fancy, really. Not fancy-fancy, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> 
So the wilderness is a place of provision, formation, where you find your identity and a place of wisdom. If you notice, lots of people got their calling and their identity in the wilderness. Abraham was called. Moses was called at the burning bush. And Jacob wrestled with his angel. And out of a place of mundane, dry ground comes a place of restoration. But this is the paradox that you have to go there in order to experience it. Can I have my blossom slide? There we go. So, the thing with cherry blossom is you don't have to have a lot of faith that it's going to come. It always comes every year. It's coming right now. And the RHS says it's going to be the best year for cherry blossom for many, many years. And near my house are my cherry blossom trees, which I've walked past for 20 years. And in my, all my wilderness seasons, I walk past my cherry trees, and I know they are going to blossom. So through all my years of infertility, when I wept like Hannah for a baby, see the dry ground rejoices. And I suffer with depression. Some people call depression the black dog. But in my time of depression, I walk past because the wilderness keeps on rejoicing and being glad, always. Some people call depression the black dog. And sometimes it's just distant in the distance, just howling on a hill. And sometimes it's snapping at my heels. And sometimes, rather awkwardly, it's sitting on my chest because it's not a small dog. And it's a male dog, because I always have male dogs for some reason. And as I am witness to the extraordinary pain of my patients, if you don't know, I'm a doctor and I work with homeless people, um, addicts, refugees, asylum seekers, traffic people, etc. It's a really, really hard job. As I am witness to an almost unbearable amount of trauma, he strengthens my weak hands and my weak knees. I see the splendor of my God, and he comes to save me. He comes to save me. He comes to save you. Isn't that good news? It's such good news. And the thing is, the wilderness always blossoms. For all those years before David Attenborough got there with his cameras, it's been blossoming for all those millennia. And I wonder where for you your hands are weak, your knees are weak, and you can't see the presence of God. Maybe your wilderness is just not knowing what you're going to do with your life, what comes next. Your wilderness may be chronic pain, chronic illness. Your wilderness may be relationship difficulties in your family. Your wilderness may be loneliness or bereavement, and maybe your loneliness is just the sheer, everyday, mundane boredom of life. A life without wonder, beauty, and enchantment. We should never lose our wonder. Elizabeth Barrett Browning was a famous poet, and she said this, the earth is crammed with heaven, and every common bush a fire with God, 
Yet only he who sees takes off his shoes. There's this little book. It's called Letters by a Modern Mystic by a guy called Frank Laubach. He was in his wilderness. He was, this is written about 100, 100 years ago, and he was in his wilderness. He was all on his own in the Philippines being a missionary, and he wrote these letters back to his dad. And in his aloneness, what he decided to do was to start to look for God in every moment, in everything, in every person, in every single moment of his life. He said this, Worries have faded away like ugly clouds, and my soul rests in the sunshine of perpetual peace. And it's been many years since I've been trying to live like Frant Laubach, and I'm definitely getting there. So the wilderness can be a place of grace and generosity, a place where we can feed on the bread of heaven. And the, the wilderness is our teacher, is such a mystery. The gospel is full of mystery. And we have to go to the wilderness in order for the life of Christ to make a radical impact on our life. The desert mothers and fathers went there a millennia ago, and they lived in caves, and they learned of God in the desert. And paradoxes of the gospel are that it's about joy and it's about suffering. It's about being filled and yet being satisfied, about losing ourselves to find ourselves, finding strength in weakness, the now and the not yet, being thirsty and wanting more and being satisfied and, and finding joy in the wilderness, finding joy in the wilderness. And understanding that God's plan, when we are in the wilderness, he's just as much there as when he's in the good times, in that we can find a divine refuge, we can find incredible hope. I wasn't going to say this, but after what Nita said about, I had a really similar, a similar picture of, you know, some of you just feel like you're, you're just um, beached, you're beached and you're stuck, but take heart because the waters are rising to lift you up again. They are coming. He is coming. He is coming to save you. And in those wilderness seasons, whether you're in one now or in the future, look to heaven, to the God who comes to save you. And dig deep in the word for those treasures which will satisfy you, the bread, which is the word of God. Because choosing joy in those seasons is an extraordinary thing we can do because it costs us, it costs us to choose joy. And what I pray for you, as you are bumping over your dry land, your wilderness, your stones and your rocks and up and down your ravines, and you are hanging onto your grab bar, that you could feel the wind of heaven in your faces and you could find joy in your hearts. Yeah. Church, would you stand as we come towards the end of our service? I'm going to ask uh, Mary just to pray for us.
I don't know where you find yourself in your season, what situation you are in, um, but the, the waters are rising. Mm -hmm. That message that was given there at the end mm. is a, a prophetic prayer, I believe, for us as a church and what God is doing. And just wonder whether we find ourselves in a wilderness season individually or whether we don't. We all need the living waters of Jesus to rise in our lives this week. Amen. Mary, would you pray for us that that would take place, if that's okay? Amen, amen. Lord, thank you that you come and you strengthen our feeble hands and you strengthen our weak knees. And Lord, you are coming because you are full of splendor. And we look to you. You are so splendid. <laughs> and Lord, thank you that you are coming to save us. Lord, um, thank you that you promise that you are coming to lift us up. And tonight, today, we lift our eyes to heaven and say thank you, Lord, that you are moving us along. Thank you for a new season. Thank you for your rivers of living water in the wilderness. Lord, thank you for the highway of holiness that we can walk towards the good things that you have for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we show our love to both Jason and Mary this morning who have served us so well? Thank you so much. Hey, we're in for a treat this morning. We've got two speakers. Come on. Uh, the wonderful Linda and the wonderful Tafodzwa is going to be preaching God's word to us uh, for 10 minutes each in a moment, uh, which is going to be brilliant. Can we welcome Linda? I'm going to pray for her, but let's welcome her up to the stage as she comes up. Can you stretch out your hands if that's okay, church? Let's pray for, for Lynn. Father, thank you so much for the wonderful grace uh, that is so clearly on this woman of God's life. And thank you, Lord, for how she has ministered to us previously. This isn't her uh, first time. She's been doing it for many, many weeks and many months. And uh, as she steps into what will feel like a different role of preaching God's word uh, for us to the next uh, 10 minutes, I pray there will be a real clarity I pray there'll be a real peace, and I pray for that anointing of God that rests on our life to come forth to proclaim the word of God to us as a church. Lord, I'm looking forward to hearing and learning for all that you want to say into my life, and I pray and echo that prayer to us as a church. May the word of God be declared, be spoken, and may it be manifested into our lives and actions this week. Pray for real easiness on Lynn. Lift off any anxiety. And replace it with confidence and boldness as the word of God goes forth. We pray this in your powerful name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Wow. Thank you so much. What a privilege. What a privilege. I, I get to see you quite often when I'm up here singing, but what a privilege to talk today. Thank you so much. So... If you've got your Bibles with you, uh, we're going to look at Genesis 22. I think it may come up on the screen, but some of us like to look at our, uh, our own Bibles. So Genesis 22, I'm just going to read it to you. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. 
On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Lord, bless these words. May they come from you. Bless our hearts and our ears that we may hear what you have to say. So, today we look at the account of Abraham and Isaac. Isaac is the long-awaited son of Abraham and Sarah. A miracle child. Abraham was 100 years old and Sarah was 90 when Isaac was born. A son promised and miraculously given. So here we are years on. And this is the story of a mountain, Mount Moriah. A mountain of great cost. Harder, tougher and steeper than many mountains mentioned in climbing history. Harder than maybe Mount Everest. Mount Kilimanjaro. You know, I, re- <laughs> I regretted putting that in as soon as I looked at it. <laughs> that mountain, you know the one. <laughs> yeah. Why, you ask? I don't think I've even heard of Mount Moriah. It can't be that great. <laughs> but it's because of Mount Moriah. It's what it represents, the highest possible surrender and sacrifice for one of the climbers in this story today. So let's just look at it now. Let's look at verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. So God speaks to Abraham by name. The intimacy of God calling Abraham by name and Abraham's response of here I am. Pure intimacy and beautiful surrender. Next, we see God using almost cinematic tension to describe his request. He says, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the Mount Mount, uh, Moriah. I think Abraham probably knew who he was talking about. So I wonder why God was saying it this way. I wonder if God was trying to make a point, just underlying, underlining what he was asking. And there was no argument from Abraham that I can see, not even a sign, no, no pleading, no, that's not fair. Well, you promised him to me. We read none of this. Just here I am. In fact, what we read in the next verse, in verse 3, is that Abraham is up early the next day. It's almost like he's really keen to do this. 
He gets prepared, takes a couple of the servants and son Isaac, and off they go on this very long, hard climb. And on the third day of this hike, Abraham says two amazing things. He says to his servants in verse 5, stay here with the donkeys while I and the boy go over there and we will worship and we will come back to you. So there are two things in this sentence that jump out to me. Abraham saw the sacrifice of his son, his only son, Isaac, whom he loved as a part of devotion and of worship to God. The second was that he believed God would simply raise Isaac back to life. Such was his faith in God's promise. What a test this was proving to be. Even though Abraham had no idea this was a test. In Hebrews 11 verses 17 to 19 it says, By faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice, his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, It is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. Such faith, sacrifice and surrender. And there was a thought that came to me, a scripture that we know really well, the one in Samuel, 2 Samuel 24, verse 24, where it says, I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. But I felt that there was more. There was more than sacrifice in this story. This would cost Abraham absolutely everything. His promised son, the future generations that God had spoke of. He talked about the the stars in the sky and the, the grains of sand. This was everything that he was going to give up. And what humility to say that this was considered worship. And what faith he had to say that he and his son would return to the servants. Still they went on. Isaac was bound, Abraham raises the knife, and God intervenes. The New Living Translation says it like this. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Here I am. The same as he responded at the beginning of this story. The same response, consistently trusting, full of surrender. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. The question I felt that God was asking me, and the question I believe is for all of us today, is less about sacrifice, actually, but more about surrender. The Lord knew Abraham was in awe of him, Because he did not withhold the most precious of things from God, his only son, the son of promise. I wonder, and I've wondered myself, if God is less interested in our offers, in our barterings, in our attempts to control, than we actually think he is. If he's not Lord of all, is he Lord at all? Does what we hold on to have more lordship than Jesus in our lives? Our sacrifices given from white-knuckled, clenched hands that he prizes the fingers. What does that actually mean? What are we holding on to? What past trials do we still allow to affect us? 
past insecurities that we bring into our today? What promises do we cling to? All the while ignoring the one who gave the promise in the first place. What ministries, what positions hold more weight than seeking the very presence of God? What future dreams, what future aspirations, what longings do you have that you are holding on to? What am I holding on to? What are we holding back? Withholding nothing. That's what it says, withholding nothing. Just as I'm coming to a close, Matthew 1 verse 2 and then Matthew 1 verse 16 just carries on this story. Isn't it amazing how things in the Old Testament bridge over to the New Testament? And this was just so awesome to me. It's one of those he begat and they begat and I think lots of begatting went on. Uh, anyway, verse 2 <laughs> it says... Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac was the father of, and so it goes on. And it goes on till verse 16, and it says, Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary gave birth to Jesus, called the Messiah. Abraham surrendered that which was most precious to, to God. He withheld nothing. And through that surrender, we see the Messiah come to earth to save mankind. I wonder, like me, do you want to see your street saved? Do you want to see your workplace? Do you want to see the presence of Christ birthed in those things? Then it calls for us to have full surrender. Just like Abraham, that promise was fulfilled. The stars in the sky and the grains of sand because of full surrender. Worship and wonder. Sacrifice and surrender. As we withhold nothing and give it all to the Lord, I wonder what seed of Christ's presence will be birthed in our workplaces, our families, our streets and our homes. My prayer is that when God calls our name today, like he did with Abraham, that we will say, here I am. And that we will worship our Lord, Saviour, Jesus Christ, withholding nothing. Amen. Amazing. Could you pray for us? Is that okay? Oh, Father God. Lord, it's so easy to say, and yet, you know what, Lord, when we are in your presence, when we get our focus on you, it's also easy to do. Lord, we give everything to you. Lord, that is my prayer, that we will surrender everything and hold back nothing. Lord, in this moment, Lord, speak to our hearts as you call our name. As you call my name, Lynn, as you say, Sean, Anita, Jane, John, Fred, Richard, as you're calling our name this morning, may we say, here I am. Take it all, Lord. Take every single thing. It's yours. Amen. Amen. Let's show some love to Lynn this morning. Thank you so much. Amazing. And keep that applause going as we invite uh, Taffy up to the stage. The fathers will come for him. In the young adults and students, we call this man the bishop. Uh, the bishop, he carries such a grace and authority. And I'm excited to sit under uh, God's word. Can we pray for you, Taffy, before I hand over to you? Would you stretch out your hands once again? Father, thank you so much for this man of God. Thank you for the blessing he has been to my life personally. And thank you, Father, for 
how you have uh, used him in his time here as a student to impact so many people's lives. And Father, I pray this morning that there'll be a clarity and an anointing that is rested on his life to proclaim the message you have deposited in him to come forth to bear fruit in our hearts and our lives as a church. Father, I pray for a great peace, but also a holy expectancy in his heart for all that you want to declare in and through him this morning. Father, for us as a church right now, I pray you will soften our hearts, open our ears to be able to receive that which the Spirit of the Lord says to the church this morning. We invite your presence, Holy Spirit, to continue all that you already have said through Lynn. And may the message continue through what you have prepared in Taffy. We welcome you, Lord. We welcome your word. We welcome your spirit. We pray this in your powerful name. Amen. Thank you. Good afternoon, Lord Silver Church. Can you do me a favor, if that's okay? Um, I just want to honor the, the shepherd of this house. Can you just put your hands together for Pastor Mike? Can you just do that? Come on, come on, Kibi, you can do better than that. Come on, come on, come on. Show some love to your pastor. Incredible, incredible. It's important, church. It's important to recognize people that God has placed in our midst uh, to be shepherds of our souls. And if you're a leader in this church, I want to honor you. Uh, I want to honor my big brother, Sean. Uh, I want to honor Des, I believe he's watching. Boss, I want to honor you. And every person in the leadership role, I want to honor you. Uh, your serving is not in vain. There's a crown waiting for you in glory. Uh, open your Bibles with me to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter number 1. 1 uh, Samuel, chapter number 1. Uh, we're going to be moving swiftly. Uh, we're going to be moving swiftly. Uh, there is an invitation, church, to not just cast your burdens on the Lord. <laughs> The Bible says that cast your burdens unto the Lord, for he cares for you. Uh, but can I just say this morning that there are dimensions to how we relate to God. There are dimensions to how we relate to God and how we communicate to him. Paul says that we are co-laborers with Christ, and therefore on his behalf we implore you, be reconciled unto God. Catch the phrase co-laborers with God. There is an invitation this afternoon, church, to not just cast your burdens unto the Lord, but to take upon yourself his burdens. I believe we're graduating from a realm where prayer, if you want the title of my message in the next 10 minutes, is going to be, it's an invitation to bear the burdens of the Lord. That's the topic, the title of the message that we're going to go with, an invitation to bear, to carry the burdens of the Lord. First Samuel chapter number one, we are going to move swiftly, like I said, we come across the woman Hannah. Uh, Hannah is married uh, to, to a man um, by the name of Elkanah. And you got two wives there. You got a two wife situation going on there, where there's Hannah on one side, there's Penina on one side. And the scripture says that Penina on one hand had children, but Hannah had none. Uh, and guess what happened with Hannah? In verse 5, it says that, uh, but to Hannah, uh, he would give a double portion, but he, because he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. Can I just say to you this morning that some of the things you're going through in your life, some of the challenges you're going through in your life right now, it is not because the devil is after you. 
some of the challenges you're facing in your life at the moment is because God has got something to do with you. Just because a door is closed in front of you does not mean it's always the devil fighting against you. Sometimes God has to take certain steps so that your knocking can be desperate knocking. Uh, church, you do not miss this part. Do not miss this part. So verse 5 says that Hannah had no children because the Lord closed her womb. And verse 6 says that her, her rival, Penina, or Penina, I don't know how you pronounce it. And can I warn you that I was born in Zimbabwe, and so you're going to get the thickest Zimbabwean accent you can ever get if you have, uh, if you have never heard one. Uh, then Penina would provoke her severely to make her miserable because the Lord closed the womb. Uh, so it was the year by year she went out to the house of the Lord and she provoked her. Therefore she wept and did not eat. Invitation to carry uh, the Lord's burden. Let, let, let's look at this. Hannah is in a place where she's desperate for a child. She is desperate for a boy. All these years she's waiting for a child year after year. And the Lord has closed the womb. Uh, is it because it was impossible for God to give a child? No. Uh, you see, church, bearing the burdens of God in a place of prayer, or shall I say the invitation to carry the burdens of the Lord in a place of prayer, uh, is saying to God, your kingdom come, your will be done. I believe, church, that sometimes we, especially in the Western church, we can get in this cycle where we have our own agenda on this one side and we say, God, this is our agenda. And this is how you're going to come and fit in our agenda. This is where you're going to take your seat and fit in our agenda and fulfill our agenda. But an invitation from God this morning for you and me to, is to come into the place of prayer and intercession and say, God, what are you up to? And how do I fit into what you're up to? Oh, I believe God is calling his church to step up as intercessors. I believe God is calling his church to, to, to move from a realm where we're asking for a child. <laughs> because God wants to give you more than a child. Uh, because God is not so much interested in our strategies and self-reliance, uh, which uh, is about me, myself, and I. Uh, but God wants to bring something that has got a na his name on it. He wants to bring something. He wants to answer the prayers with something that's got revival and an awakening written all over it. Because let me just challenge you and ask you this, that if God was to answer some of the prayers you've been praying lately, would they change just you, yourself, and you? <laughs> or are they going to shift a region? Are they going to shift a nation? Because the Bible says that Elijah was a man like us, yet he prayed fervently, earnestly. And for three and a half years, there was no water. He was a man who was carrying the burdens of the Lord. In this story, we see that we are in a place when Israel needs a righteous judge. It needs a revivalist to return people unto God. And so what, it's going to, what God is going to give to Hannah is something that's more than just a child. Because Penina had children, but we don't hear anything about Penina's children. She had plenty of them, but we don't hear anything of them. At the moment, Hannah was still in a place where she's saying, if I can only get a child. Where she was in a place of casting a burden unto the Lord, and there's nothing wrong with that. But can I just say, there's a call to maturity this morning, church. And I'm talking to some of you who've been working with the Lord for a long time. There's a call to graduate 
from a place where you are looking to God like a little child, where you're concerned about you, yourself, and you, to a place where you're saying, God, what are you up to? What should I be praying for? And for the young people of my generation, this is a call unto you as well. That it's not just about you, yourself, and you. It's time to lift up your eyes and say, God, what shall I pray for? What are you up to? And how do I fit, how do I fit in? So we see as we move on swiftly with the scripture, that Hannah at some point, I believe, she caught an eye of the Lord. She caught something uh, of the Lord. Because your prayer will shift from just wanting a son. And your prayer changes. <laughs> ah, you see, if you move to verse um, number 11, it says that, actually verse 10, she said, And she was in bitterness of soul, and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Oh, that the Lord will send his spirit of grace and supplication upon his church. Oh, that there will be tears of men and women, young men and women, of all generations who cry in tears, not because something that's going on in our life is bothering, but because we have shifted to a different dimension where the things that bother him bother me, where I grieve, the, I grieve because of the things that are grieving him, where my desires, where his desires become my desires. Uh, my plan for my life is his plan for my life. I look into what he has. I look into what he's trying to do. So in verse 10, she says that, uh, in verse 11, she made a vow and said, Oh Lord of hosts, if you indeed look uh, on the affliction of your maid servant and remember me and forget uh, not your, your maid servant, uh, but I will give, but will give your maid servant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord <laughs> uh, all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. And it happened uh, as she continued praying uh, before the Lord that Eli washed him. I want you to concentrate on verse 10 and verse 11. I got a few minutes before I sit down. Uh, you see, she catches up. She switches from a realm of, Lord, this is what I need to a place of like, Lord, this is what you're up to. I want to catch up to what you, you want to do. You are planning to bring a revivalist in the nation of Israel. You are planning to bring a man who's going to restore the nation. I don't even think she had the fullest idea of what she was praying for, but she had logged in into a new dimension, a dimension of bearing the burdens of God because God had a burden for his people, for his nation. God had planned already that Samuel was going to come, but there needed to be a process and a time for somebody to get on their knees and say, God, what are you up to? The things that concern you, concern me. Now give me a child, and when you give me a child, what I'm going to do? I'm going to give back the child to you. I'm looking into the kingdom of God. I'm looking into the kingdom agenda. You're looking into what God wants to do, and it's an invitation for you, church, for you and I, church, to be in a place where we walk step in step with the Spirit, where it's no longer about my desires. Paul says that I've died to self. Uh, it's Christ who lives in me. Uh, do you realize that the day you gave your life to Christ, you lost your rights? Uh, some of us are still trying to cling on to our rights. We're still in a place where we're trying to live. Uh, but Paul says that it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. That means that the life that I live, the way that I walk, my agenda, uh, my life plan has got God's name written all over it. That means I grieve for the things that he grieves. That means I bear the burdens of the Lord. That means the Lord is in a place where he can confide in me, where he can trust me, where he can say with this one, I'll get a year. Yes, with this one, he will lock into what I'm trying to do. I'm looking for a man, for a woman who's going to say, Lord, here I am, use me. I'm looking for a man and a woman who's going to say, yes, Lord, to what you're trying to do. And lock into the promises of God. And pray. And pray and travail. And pray and travail. Uh, if your understanding of grace and the sovereignty of God lives in a place where you're passive, 
I'm not sure if you're catching the doctrine of grace. There's a call to war. We're engaged in a battlefield church. Revival will come in this city. Revival is coming in this region. Revival is coming to this nation. But where are the hunters who are going to get desperate and catch up to what God is trying to do? Where are the hunters who are going to get desperate and say, Lord, your will be done, not my will? Where are the intercessors? Where are the intercessors? Who will say, for the sake of Exeter, I will not hold back. For the sake of Devon, I will not stop knocking on the doors of heaven until you send a revival in this nation. Where are the prayer warriors? Where are you, prayer warriors? Where are you, watchmen and watchwomen? This is the time that Joel the prophet spoke about. And he says, in the last days, I will pour my spirit out upon all flesh. You young men and you young women shall prophesy. When are you going to look into the plans that he has for the city? When are you going to look into the plans that he has for the nation? And get on your knees and say, God, revive our nation. God, revive our hearts. God, revive our hearts. Lord, we are moving from a dimension where it's me, myself, and I. So that when you answer the prayers that I'm praying, God, they will shift a nation. They will change a nation. Revival is coming, but the laborers are needed. To labor in prayer, if you want scriptural evidence, I can tell you about Apophras in the book of Colossians, chapter 4, where Paul says that Apophras is always laboring in prayer for you. There's going to be need of a laboring in the place of prayer. A revival, if revival is going to come, the church needs to wake up to a calling and not try to assimilate to the world and not try so hard to look like the world, but say, God, here we are. We have caught up to the vision that you're planning to bring a revivalist in Israel. You're going to give us more than a boy. And I'm going to speak for some of you right now the things that you're asking God to do. They're taking long because God wants to give you more than the things that you're asking for. If he answers you the way that you want him to answer. It's only going to benefit you. But God is interested in his kingdom and you're part of it. So I guess maybe there's some of you in this room who are actually asking God for a child, actually. And I want to encourage you this afternoon that God wants to give you more than a child. And I need you to get on your knees and pray that when that child comes, the child will shift nations. But I need the church this morning to be challenged to say, God, we are concerned about the things that concern you. There are many times when God wants to trust me with certain things, but at the moment I'm so concerned with myself that at the moment I'm delaying the process. There are so many things that God would rather tell me now, but at the moment I'm so full of myself and I'm so filled with my own agenda that it's so hard for me to catch up. But as Lynn said, that God is calling us to a place of surrender. That is, I give him my parents. I take myself upon myself, his parents. Psalms 25, 14, it says that the secret of the Lord is with those that fear him. We want to be a church that people trust. We want to be a church that God trusts, can entrust with his secrets. Oh, where are you intercessors? Where are you intercessors? Where are you? If revival is going to happen, it's going to need you to labor in prayer. It's going to need you to stay in prayer. It's not just going to be a one-minute prayer, God send revival. You need to labor in prayer so that you're prepared. So that when the boy Samuel appears, 
when revival appears, we can sustain it. Hey, Koreo Christian. 